This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson-Weber. And my guests are Bob Falls, Artistic Director at Goodman Theater, and Rock Schulfer, Executive Director at Goodman Theater, who are here not to talk about uh, a Goodman show or the Goodman Theater, but to talk about their role in hosting the Belarus Free Theater Company, which have just left Chicago after a how many weeks? Four week. Four week visit. Um, essentially a form of political asylum. Um, they've been hosted in order that they didn't have to go back to Belarus where they would be in big trouble. Is that a fair statement? Both a political asylum and they do very good work. Yeah, yeah. There's been a great deal of coverage of the company um, and their uh, role as political spokespeople for the horrible situation in Belarus, including close friends of theirs who are now in jail and many of the company members have spent time in jail. Um, but I think it would also be interesting to talk about how it came about that Chicago has hosted them. It was kind of a on-the-fly arrangement, as I understand well, it. Well, it was very quick, uh, and certainly it was, a, I think, a remarkable um, event for the Chicago theater community, and I'm very proud that uh, the Goodman, particularly under the leadership of my partner, Rock Schulfer, sort of spearheaded it, but we were all quick to follow in his fleeting footsteps. Uh, we, I have been aware of the company for some time, um, just traveling as I have internationally and making international connections. I've been well aware of both the artistic merit, which is considerable yeah. for this company, which has been invited consistently to perform in world companies and has won a number of wor um, world awards for their artistic work. But as importantly, I suppose, has been their political activist activity as, as activists, the fact that when we say they are a free theater, uh, they are performing in a country where virtually any theater is an active political revolution. And mm -hmm. the fact is they are a free theater where the audiences follow them around uh, using social networking methodologies of Twitter and Facebook. Uh, their audiences are told where they're going to perform, when they're going to perform, and it becomes a rather elaborate charade to sort of escape the KGB and, and various government officials that have been shadowing them. So their reputation has also necessarily and essentially been as political activists. Uh, they were performing in the aftermath of the November 19th presidential elections, for which many of them had been arrested and most of them had been targeted by the government as enemies of the state to perform in New York City um, in a collaboration with a company called Under the Radar with the New York Shakespeare Festival Public Theater. And we had pretty much been following them, uh, all of us as individuals and as company members, and became aware fairly quickly, and Rock can talk about this, that once their engagement was done, and their engagement was was already very complicated because they had to essentially smuggle themselves out of the country mm -hmm. virtually one by one to fulfill their promise to perform in New York City uh, in late December and early January. And it became obvious to us that once they fulfilled their commitment in New York, they were done. Their visas were up. They'd have to return to Minsk in Belarus, uh, and they would be facing a rather uncertain, to say the least, future. Uh, and it gave us an opportunity to move very quickly and to provide them with an additional month with which they could review their options. 
wonderful for them, but equally wonderful for us in the city of Chicago was to present uh, one of the great companies in the world. Rock, you can probably fill that in. Well, we were, as Bob said, we were aware of the company and there was a piece in the New York Times about their situation uh, and simultaneously our associate uh, at the Goodman, Rebecca Gilman, contacted me and said, hey, did you see this? And I said, yes. And she said, well, we should check it out. Maybe there's some way to uh, get them to Chicago. And so I called the public theater, spoke to Mark Russell of the Under the Radar Festival, and inquired as to their status. And I guess, you know, because there had been a lot of publicity about it, I sort of assume that, you know, someone would have stepped forward to do something. Mm -hmm. uh, but Mark said that, and confirmed by the executive director of the public theater, that there, indeed, within a matter of 72 hours, if they didn't receive an invitation in the United States, their visas would expire and they would have to go back. Uh, and so I said, well, uh, we will try to do this. And I got off the phone and contacted our board chairman, um, uh, and sent, uh, emails around to our board officers and, um, basically called them back and said, we'll, we'll bring them to Chicago. Uh, we'll issue uh -huh. that invitation. And so that's what, uh, uh, that's what started it at that point, we didn't have a place for them to perform. Uh, but uh, so we turned our attention to that. I talked to Henry Godinez, our associate director, who is also uh, department uh, chair at Northwestern. And he said, you know, there's space at Northwestern. So I think we have at least some uh, dates available there. So I said, great, we at least know that we have uh, some place to go to bring them to town for the four-week period of time. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, though, there are a lot of logistics even before that. You suddenly have to find money to bring them here. You have to have a place to house them. Um, and then this apparatus of marketing and letting the whole world know that they're mm -hmm. the whole Chicago community. So, I mean, was it literally 72 hours? That yeah, it was maybe even faster. I mean, originally... From that time Rock called, we thought we had, what, maybe a week, 10, ten days? days? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then they called back and said, this was on a Friday. They said, you got till Tuesday, Tuesday morning. And that wasn't just, once you issue the invitation, then at least that extends the visa. And then you've got a little the, time the to get The invitation needed to be issued. That right. was the key thing. And I think what was really remarkable was we were obviously in the process of trying to line up the ducks, but this just sort of meant the ducks sort of had to wait to be lined right. up. So you took we, a leap we, of faith. faith we basically, basically took the leap of faith mm -hmm. saying, we will do this. We believe that there is the support here in Chicago mm -hmm. on all fronts. Uh, and indeed there was. Uh, right. But we were able to, I think in collaboration with the League of Chicago Theaters, uh, certainly with Northwestern, and then soon after that with the Chicago Shakespeare Company, put together uh, three venues, mm -hmm. each willing to host the company, which actually I thought turned out rather marvelously that the the company was able to see be seen in three very you know different sectors of the city with uh, probably some overlap audience, but also mm -hmm. some individual right. audience. Right. And uh, we we put it together, and and uh, you know Rock can again 
talk about that. But the first thing was just to sort of jump in, make that commitment, and then everything sort of followed. And that's the big thing, I mean, that I, I have to say, you know, about everybody at the Goodman and our board of trustees. Um, you know, I basically went to them and said, look, this this is what's happening. It's going to cost, it may cost us $50,000 to do this. Um but I think we need to do it. And they said, absolutely. And so we issued the invitation without having the financial uh, backing in place. So yeah. there was that risk attached to it. But they didn't, they didn't hesitate. And our, uh, you know, our staff is great. So in terms of going to them and saying we have to mobilize to promote this and produce this and present this, uh, they were great. One of the things Rock is alluding to, and I think one of the things that I'm most proud of, and I'm enormously proud of the Goodman and Northwestern and Shakespeare Theater and indeed all of Chicago, both its um, theater leadership and our audiences, was to recognize a moral imperative that you rarely confronted with in the theater. I mean, we talk all the time about bravery this and bravery that and putting ourselves out. And here's a company really of people who are on the line, who, who are really running for their lives, who are making theater that matters. So where did the 50000 come from? Uh, the uh, MacArthur Foundation, the Trust for Mutual Understanding, mm -hmm. and a number of our trustees, uh, the Joyce Foundation, stepped up wow. to provide support uh, so that uh, we did reach the funding Goal. And while we did provide, uh, you know, marketing and advertising and box office services, all of which were really donated by the various mm -hmm. theaters mm -hmm. led by the Goodman Theater, right. uh, the box office take was purely theirs. I mean, mm -hmm. what they earned, and we're very happy to say it was a sellout. I think the entire, I think all of the performances sold out. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were also able to assist in a really remarkable final performance, which just completed this last week on Monday night, which was a benefit for the company, um, which also featured 10 of Chicago's outstanding actors uh, side by side mm -hmm. performing with the Belarusians. And uh, it was really a remarkable event, bringing the community together and putting some additional cash into the pockets of this company at a time when they desperately need it. Bob does make a good point because everybody, um, the $50,000 didn't include any overhead. I mean, that was right. just the direct expense of the uh, uh, engagement and the spaces were donated. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, our crew members here donated their pay to uh, make it possible. So it, it was... Um, Really terrific, and and buying them this month. I mean, in a way, it feels like what is that? Where does that really get them? It just seems to delay the inevitable. But maybe that's wrong. Is there is there a hope that some more permanent? Uh, well, in a in twenty five words or less, uh, they are applying for political asylum. Asylum, most of them. Mm -hmm. That's a three month process. Mm -hmm. They're now in London going to Hong Kong and then back to London for engagements there. They're hoping uh, to get an invitation to come back to, to the United States that would take them through the month of May, mm -hmm. which would then be enough time for the asylum uh, process, to, yeah. process to work through. Mm -hmm. Now, there are 
a million variables within all of that, but that's, in terms of the short answer to what happens next, that's what happens next. So that's the strategy, is to that's buy the, the time for an right. asylum application. Right. Did you, did anybody in Chicago have any hand in the London or the Hong Kong engagements? Those weren't already Those on were in place already. Well, they were. So that, that was part of the issue from the outset, that they, they had the Hong Kong engagement and the London engagement, but they had this block the, of the time. The bridge yeah. that time. Bridge. That was, that was mm-hmm. the thing, that if, if somebody did not step forward, they would have been forced to go back Mm -hmm. where they were facing arrest and worse. Mm -hmm. And those further engagements in Hong Kong at a festival and back to London would probably have been canceled. So this month, as they will readily admit, was an absolute necessity Mm -hmm. uh, for them to sort of be able to gather forces and to put a plan together and to really think about how they're going to function as a company uh, that will have basically lost its essential purpose in many ways, which was performing for Belarusians, you right, know, in, right. in Belarus. Uh, and, and, you know, they have great, great hope. Uh, it's, it's, you know, who would have known in the time that they've been here that so much of the world would be in an uproar, yeah. uh, against totalitarian governments, uh, Probably some, right on some level they hope that will. I think on some level they hope that would happen, mm-hmm. but they've also given me good reasons about why that probably Won't could happen. not happen mm-hmm. in their particular corner of the world. Mm-hmm. And it really, I can't emphasize enough. I mean, we spent a lot of time with them, and as Bob said before, I mean, this is a theater company on the run. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they arrived here, and the sense of dislocation was. Enormous. I mean, mm-hmm. they really hadn't begun to address what happens next until they got to Chicago. Uh, and through the Polk Brothers Foundation, we did put them in touch with attorneys who were helping them with the asylum issues. And we got them in touch with a, a booking agent to help perhaps coordinate other invitations in the United States. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're really making it up as they, as they go along. Um, and you want to, believe, and we do believe, that the theater has an impact on people's lives, that you can change a person's life in in three hours. Um, But to see it, you know, up close and personal and and see what the impact of their work is and and see how the message is back to Belarus, that, uh, you know, the YouTube postings, things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that they're being received well in Chicago and celebrated in Chicago they communicate that back to Belarus, and mm. uh, that has uh, an impact on the resistance uh, that people are uh, trying to mobilize there. Right. So, I mean, the the when we were first doing this, Tony, I talked to Tony Kushner, who was also made a contribution to help make this happen, and he said, you know, somewhat wryly, he said, you know, by the way, the art is great, right. and uh, that's what was so powerful when we saw them. I mean, Tony said, this is some of the best Pinter I've ever seen. Um, So that... Yeah, I think that was an essential aspect from the beginning with the company, uh, that the uh, Nikolai uh, uh, Kalazin, who's the artistic director, producer of the company, and is actually one of the most established and important 
Belarusian playwrights, whose work has been completely obliterated. It cannot be produced in his home country, but he's widely produced throughout the rest of Eastern Europe, and increasingly so in Western Europe. I think it was essential for the company to make clear that they are not just a political theater company. The work that they chose to do on this tour, uh, being Harold Pinter, was very, very political. It was very much about torture and repression and violence against individuals, but that they are also in possession of a rather rich repertoire of plays that include love stories and comic works and uh, surreal works, and that they are a theater company. And, and that, that, I think, is what's frightening for people to really understand, is that it's not just a play that is uh, expressively political, that is being repressed in their home country. Mm -hmm. It's any play right. on any subject. The mere fact that a group of playwrights, directors, actors, technicians get together and put a play on it all is threatening to the government mm -hmm. of uh, President Lukashenko. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was very important, at least in their expression to me when I was speaking on behalf of the company, to let people know that, first and foremost, they are a theater company of considerable artistic merit. Right. In addition to the fact that they are, well, martyrs of sorts. Yeah. The, um, I, and that choice of play, the, just to, to explain for any listener who doesn't know that the play was um, an adaptation of pieces of Pinter. It included, uh, from several plays, four or five of his plays, um, stitched together and with his Nobel Prize with his Nobel Prize well. speech and then uh particularly at the end um letters from current political prisoners in Belarus. Um but the the impact of the show I think was enormous because of the choice of the uh content. Sure. Because of course we're seeing actors do really scary Pinter <laughs> about, you know, sadism, most of it bullying, forms of, you know, uh, abusive power. And we know, and it's clearly important to the company that we know, because they make that clear in their bios in the program, for instance, that most, if not all of them, have personally experienced that kind of abuse of power. Yes, they're themselves. not making it up. They've That's experienced right. it. That's right. No, and I, I think that was one of the most interesting and certainly striking <laughs> elements for any audience member who may not have seen the show who's listening to this mm -hmm. was to look at the program and to see in their bios the sort of standard, this is where they went to school, this is what they performed, mm -hmm. these are the roles they play, but also to a person they have experienced jail time or they have been kicked out of universities, they have lost jobs. Uh, they are under constant surveillance. Uh, and, and, you the know. adapter of being Harold Pinter is in prison in Belarus. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's it's just basically all of them have suffered and all of them have bravely continued to do this work. Harold Pinter, I think it's important to note, was a uh, early and great advocate for the company. Right. That he and the other great British playwright Tom Stoppard uh, experienced their work, I believe, at, at an international festival in Greece for the first time. And Pinter, as well as Stoppard, have been outspoken uh, voices uh, for human rights. Um, Pinter, in particular, has been a great political activist, and most of the late work of his career, including the work that I think earned him a Nobel Prize, was of a highly political nature. 
So his kinship with the company and his support with the company, and along with his widow, Lady Antonio Frazier, basically allowed them to stitch together uh, these pieces of Pinter, as you accurately said, to create a, a collage, right. which I think was stunning in the way it moved from early scenes of domestic violence to scenes which Pinter was very interested in at the end of his life of literally political torture mm -hmm. and of, of the abuse of, of human rights on a grand scale. And he really has become, in a way, the, saint, the, the patron saint of this company. And mm -hmm. I think that's why they chose this work as a sort of uh, essential work for this particular time to be pr presented around the world. One thing stylistically that was interesting about it to me, um, and I haven't seen a lot of Pinter, but it was much more uh, abstract, stylized performance than um, some Pinter that I've seen. So partly because it was a collage, it wasn't a whole right. story. Um, but, uh, you know, very stark staging. They kind of created this box that they were stuck in for most of the show. Anyway, it was, it was artistically... Um, Expressionist, yeah. in a way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I would describe it as sort of the essentialness. I, I think yeah. that what they did was they, as much Eastern European theater is, I mean, I, I've experienced a fair amount of Eastern European theater, which has rejected largely realism, right. the way we think of realism mm -hmm. in American theater, or the way we, we would think of, oh, let's look at uh, The Homecoming, one of Pinter's first plays. You know, as a sort of realistic play about a man sitting around on a couch reading a newspaper with his son across the the way, a few feet, drinking a cup of tea, mm -hmm. uh, buttering his toast. Well, they just strip all of that away. Right. And it just becomes two men in a very essential, almost boxing ring right. Uh, right. who sort of are going at each other. And those famous pinter pauses, which we've always thought of, don't exist they're just eliminated in favor of a pure essence of brutality. Yeah. And and what I think is so beautiful about the work that they did was you see that in his early works. Pinter began writing in the late 1950s, and you see it in a domestic setting, uh, and it begins with men, it, it goes towards women, it, it expands to children, and then, as I said earlier, uh, later in his career, he's really writing uh, explicitly political plays right. about torturers, tortures, uh, unnamed countries, Kafka-esque, surreal examinations right. of, of violence and, and threat. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I would describe the play very much as a, as, as a collage that takes Pinter's themes and boils them down to the theatrical essence. Right. Well, there, there are several things to follow up on that. I mean, one is... Um, you, you talked about how this is perhaps more characteristic of Eastern European theater in their, their approach to this text. And I think one of the important things that came out of this was Chicago audiences and artists seeing an example of a style that isn't mm -hmm. predominant here. It's, um, certainly there are people in this vast community of ours doing s yeah. somewhat similar work, but, um, you know, there's a there's a feeling of authenticity in their in them as proponents of this style. So that's something I'm interested. Um, if you've heard back from you know Chicago artists or you know or audiences indeed about just their reaction to the artistic approach, that's one thing. Um, and then the other thing I want to pursue after that is the um, the blending of reality and 
theater, that is to say, we know that in fact these people are victims of the stuff that they're showing us on stage, and aesthetically what the effect of that is. Um, so I don't know, has, has either of you talked to people in Chicago who've, who've talked about the, you know, the style? Well, I think the, the style worked for people just in the, in the way you both have been talking about, mm -hmm. the, the essentialness of it. They, they weren't, I didn't have people saying, well, what was going on? I mean, it right. was very, very clear. Very clear. So, and, and we have to mention, which we haven't, that it was performed yeah. in Russian and Belarusian, not in English, so right. there, which was a very important part of how one experiences the performance. But, but with subtitles. So the subtitles, audience was very good one. There were very good subtitles. Very well done. Well, and, you know, a couple of years ago, Bob curated the O'Neill Festival here at the Goodman, and that featured the Toneal group from right. uh, the Netherlands. And it was... Uh, a version of Morning Becomes Electra that uh, certainly wasn't naturalistic, but audiences, I mean, it became a hit of the festival. Yeah, yeah and, it was fascinating. Uh, you know, not to sound highfalutin about it, but that approach to theater has not been popular in Chicago, certainly. Uh, it's kind of the one area that Chicago, you know, doesn't have as much of, although Peter Taub at the MCA has been bringing groups over. Um, I, you know, I think, I think we may see more of it in the future because there's a, I mean, naturalism on the stage can't compete. I'm getting out of my league, Bob. You can help me out in a while. Mm -hmm. uh, naturalism on the stage can't compete with naturalism on television. So when you're creating events that really, I mean, you, you, couldn't have the Belarus experience in, you know, on TV in right. the same way or in right. a one-dimensional medium in the same way. Right. So I think Absolutely. as artists strive to create events that, that uh, are essentially theatrical and immediate and, well, essentially coming back to that word. So. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I think that's true what you're saying is that uh, – you know, for many, many years in Chicago throughout the 80s, I won't say for many years, but for a period of time in the 80s and the early 90s, there was the Chicago International Theater Festival. It was Festival, so great. Yeah. Which presented work from around the world. And I don't think we as Chicagoans, for all of the great theater that we have, and I do think Chicago is the great American theater town, we do not experience international theater the way New York City does or London does or Paris right. does or Berlin does. And it just we just don't have a tradition of yeah. sort of support for that kind of work. But right. I've always felt that it is very necessary for us as audiences to be exposed to a wide variety of theater, which mm. is very different than the kind of theater we do. No, and the point, you know, the point, too, is that if this company is able to come back and establish themselves in the United States uh, between this play and their other work, I think they will have an impact on what happens in Belarus. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Bob and I were both around when Fugard's work was done, first done in this country, and it was a similar situation. Yes. People didn't know about South Africa and right. what was going on there, and suddenly they went to see Sizwabonzi is dead, and people said, what? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, theater may not reach millions and millions of people, but one of the good things about the demographic of theater is that you'll reach a lot of influential people mm -hmm. and people who are... are you know, politically involved. So there was no question that Fugard had, Fugard's work in the 70s had an impact on the United States position in South Africa. And I maintain, I, I can't prove it, but I believe in my heart that the fact that August Wilson's work uh, proliferated in this country the way it did over a 15-year period of time 
uh, had an impact on Barack Obama being elected president mm -hmm. because mainstream audiences saw African Americans in a completely different light than they had mm -hmm. prior to his works being done. So, uh, you know, theater does have, have that impact on people. And again, going back to what we said before, the, this experience was very, very immediate uh, in terms of people's reaction. I think, I mean, for me, it was for sure. I mean, I, I wanted to go home and put my head under the covers. It was <laughs> because, I mean, Pinter is like that anyway. <laughs> You're spending time in that dark, scary place. And then somehow it really was enhanced by knowing their relationship to this, these situations. But I also think that, um, American artists struggle with, uh, theater artists struggle with the feeling of being a little bit, uh, irrelevant, kind of maybe not so important, certainly in terms of the, uh, cultural prestige. Theater has kind of lost its place in favor of film and so forth. And, and I know a lot of artists who talk about, you know, sometimes I think, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? You know, and our, does it, does it add up to anything? And I wonder if this company stood for something that we kind of long for as American artists, which is this direct feeling of. I, I think it's a good question and good, good comment. And, and I think it absolutely does. I mean, I received a wonderful, wonderful letter, uh, from one of Chicago's finest actors, a, a woman named Aura Jones, who's just really one of the, the great Chicago actors who was one of the participants, and I don't think she really realized she had not seen the performance mm -hmm. until she was invited to participate mm -hmm. in the performance. Mm -hmm. And as she participated in the performance at the benefit and as she watched these artists working, she was really overwhelmed with the importance of what she was participating in and what she was watching. And I, I mean, I actually think theater artists are aware of what they do. I mean, I think that we do know that marginalization is probably too strong a word, but we certainly know that in terms of popular culture, film, television, uh, pop music uh, is always going to be sort of at the forefront mm -hmm. of consciousness. But I think the theater remains and always will remain, I think, a somewhat of a holy temple where people come into a room. It's generally a small room. Um, you know, of, of rarely more than a few thousand people and often as few as 20, to come in to essentially hear the truth, uh, to look at each other, to hear stories. Um, you know, it, it's primal. It goes back. And, and I think all theater artists and I think all audiences are aware that they're experiencing something very special in the theater. And I think, there were, as Rock said, I think that most theater artists and all of us are in what, what we're in it because we actually do believe that we have the potential to change the world. Mm -hmm. It might be one person at a time. You know, we famously said here we do a lot of performances for young people. And over 30 years of doing this, I can't tell you the number of young people that have come up to me and have said their lives have been changed by seeing a play by August Wilson. Mm -hmm. Or Tennessee Williams, or Eugene O'Neill, or or you know Lynn Nottage, or Spalding Gray, or William Shakespeare, and that that has either made them want to go into the theater, or it has made them aware of the importance of theater in their world mm -hmm. and has enriched them as a human being, and that's very very meaningful. And I think it's one of the reasons why we all do it uh, without getting rich. We all do it without getting famous, the way you can receive those sort of rewards in film or television. Right. And I think seeing a Belarusian theater company 
that is working so bravely, so purely, so essentially, uh, is, is an inspiration to American theater artists. And I think it does put people, as it did Aura Jones, back in touch with one of the reasons why we all do what it is we do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good place to end. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.